Late Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli. Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. Legal Conversations. Let's welcome our 18 guest, Uyanda Maboya, who is a candidate attorney at Adams and Adams. Thank you very much for joining us, Uyanda. Good evening. Good evening, Patricia. How are you? I'm strong. I've had a great weekend. How are you doing? Oh well, um, 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 I can just say I'm doing very well on this on this particularly good Monday. Excellent. <laughs> I'm glad you said it's a good Monday. We should get away with that term "blue Monday," right, and make it a good Monday every Monday. Out with the old, in with the new. That's <laughs> what I always say. <laughs> Talking about out with the old, in with the new. So the Constitutional Court recently delivered a judgment which overturned the High Court's ruling that certain sections of uh, births and deaths registration, according to Act 51 of 1992, um, had stipulated. Can you please take us through this in layman's terms so that we as A-teamers can understand what this ruling means and um, where we stand as South Africans? Okay, um, simply put, this was a matter um, brought by, so the applicant in this case was known as the voice of the unborn baby, and what basically happened was that first they brought this action to the High Court in Pretoria, and the High Court in Pretoria um, declared certain sections of the Birth and Death Registration Act unconstitutional due to the fact that they prohibited um, the burial of fetuses which had not reached 26 weeks of gestation, basically 26 weeks of pregnancy. And it was on various grounds, such as the fact that they violated, you know, religious rights, it violated the constitutional right to equality, privacy, and dignity. But then when the matter proceeded to the constitutional court for a final um, declaration, unfortunately, the constitutional court basically overturned the high court ruling meaning that we are unfortunately back in, we're back to square one, whereby we have these provisions which say that if, if you unfortunately happen to miscarry a fetus that doesn't reach at least 26 weeks of gestation, then you, know, you cannot legally bury it. It's automatically going to be regarded as medical or pathological waste by the hospital, and it just has to be incinerated. But obviously, um, this does not sound fair for those who want to observe rituals, who want to um, have a proper burial ceremony. Um, if you can just imagine in your mind how big a 26-year-old or even 25, 24-year-old or 24 weeks, sorry, weeks old baby is inside the womb. You can see it. You can, it's got a heartbeat. It's got all mm. its limbs by that time. You can tell the gender of, of this baby or fetus. Medic, that's how they call it medically. But you can see all the parts when you go through a scan. It can't be fair that the, the, the court has overruled this, that we cannot give the parents, the family, uh, the right to decide what they want to do with their baby and still say it's medical waste. Exactly, Patricia. And I totally agree with you on that point because it's very interesting how you say the parents should be able to decide what to do with their waste. And, you know, I've discussed this, this case with certain colleagues of mine and I've always made sure to emphasize it's not about arguing legal personality because if a fetus in general cannot be regarded as, a, as you know, a person, then you can't say that a fetus this early in development should be regarded as a person. However, what's really interesting is that 
parents should still be given the choice on what to do with their fetus, no matter how far, um, no matter how far they've reached in, in the gestation period. But because, and whether it's in the African culture or other cultures, a child is a child, you know, um, you've already prepared the baby's room, you've already, you like you said, you already know its gender, you already know the name of the child, you've seen several ultrasound scans. And so, you, unfortunately, the bond between mother and child, no matter how far you are in the gestation period, you know, it really, it really is, it, it brings a lot of impact on your life. So, to lose a child is already quite disheartening. But then to be told that because it doesn't reach a certain gestation period, then you can't legally bury it or you can't legally decide what to do with it. I think that is just, you know, it's, it's, it's really sad. And it's, 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 a, it's, a great, it's a huge legal gap that needs to be filled. Is there anything that can be done, Uyanda? Can, can uh, we still go back to the courts to give this particular, um, you know, a case a chance? Can we give the voiceless baby uh, a voice? Well, Patricia, um, to be perfectly frank with you, the, con- the decision made by the Constitutional Court was they, they unfortunately set aside um, the order of the High Court so they declared it invalid. And because the Constitutional Court is the highest court in South Africa, that decision will stand. However, um, the best avenue we can have um, is that perhaps sometime in the near future, um, someone has to, this is, this, is, this is a huge topic that really needs to be properly explored in depth, but then someone can really bring up this legal gap because you know, it's, it's, it really hits hard with regards to the constitutional right to autonomy, which is just another way of saying, you know, one's right to be in control, one's right to, you know, protect their liberty, their privacy, and their integrity. So it is a fundamental right within the constitution, and it has a domino effect on all other constitutional rights, you know, because you have control. And you can even see it in certain legislation, such as the Termination of Pregnancy Act, it's giving ladies control over you know what to do with their bodies so here we just have to someone just really needs to properly you know bring another challenge to the constitutional court on this basis just so we can at least give effect to the parents rights to autonomy because it is absolutely possible to do so isn't this a particular um you know a judgment uh, still opening up room for misconduct because a lot of nurses have been said to help mothers who have been bereaved to smuggle out, you know, these these uh, babies after they've been miscarried. So doesn't this open up for more of this sort of illegal behavior? And just because you are feeling so hard sore for that particular grieving mother and family. Um, to be honest with you, Patricia, I I I I will have to concede. You are right, but the misconduct, it's, it's, it's not necessarily because, technically speaking, it's illegal to bury a fetus that hasn't reached 26 weeks. Um, this is no ordinary crime. And another problem that we have, which the Constitutional Court did touch on in their judgments with regards to why they set aside the judgment of the High Court, was because there's no clarity on what 
medical staff at hospitals should do if prospective parents wish to bury or cremate the fetal remains of, of you know, a pre-viable uh, fetus. And, and I've even read in certain literature that till this day, the staff aren't exactly clear. And like you've just said, for example, they'll just feel so much sympathy for these parents that they effectively have to smuggle out the remains just so they can grieve the, the, their child's property. And that, that is, you know, due to the laws simply not, you know, not treating everybody fairly. But also it, it, it really does highlight that there is a problem because hospital staff, unfortunately, it's clear that this law isn't even clear to them. You know, there's mm-hmm. not a lot of clarity. So not only do we need to at least give effect to the parents' rights to you know, have a voice. But we also need to make it clear on what exactly hospital staff should do. Most definitely. I mean, uh, is there more that can be done? This is what I want to know. Is there more that can be done? Because we don't want to find medical staff uh, going ahead and um, and 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 getting into trouble because they're helping someone. We also don't want parents to be grieving and not having closure and not being able to have proper burials and rituals uh, for their children. If the constitution is for all of us, then shouldn't this then be fought a bit more? So, what more can we do? Um, who should be coming forward? Maybe a teamers come in on this conversation. Let me hear from you on zero eight six triple zero two zero three two or zero six one four one zero four one zero seven. A teamers, um, yeah, I'd love to hear what you think should or can be done. But to you, Uyanda, what can we do as a civil society? Well, as a civil society, what we basically have to do, um, you know, with any with any normal civilian, what we just have to keep doing is researching and seeing how how much better we can improve our constitution because our constitution is already, you know, um, it's 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 a great piece of work, but it's never it was never designed to remain static. You know, it's it's always meant to improve. And this is just another area of law that needs to we need to keep chipping away at and you know, in order to give effect to everybody's rights and to ensure that everybody's happy. Um this is this is a significant case that will probably be looked at twenty years down the line and we'll say, thanks to this case, you know, um we now have proper reproductive rights for ladies. You know. So that's really what we have to do is just trust in the constitutional courts to, if another opportunity comes by, they have to see how how they can um, elaborate and perhaps in a way rectify the decision that they've made in this case. It's a, it's a very sad one. It's a very, very sad one. And it's because there's so many women who go through this experience day in and day out. And uh, for your child to be called medical waste um, must be very, very painful. I mean, there are small issues like uh, small issues like you know other families believing that the fetuses after you've given birth to the baby, you want to keep the placenta. This too becomes contentious when you get into uh, the medical facilities. They'll tell you mm. you're not allowed to uh, for health and safety reasons. Not looking into your right to be able to practice your religion or your cultural practices without any hindrances. So some of these things are really a catch-22. Let me go to a voice note quickly. 
Good evening, Sister Pat. Good evening to your guests and all their listeners. This is Incognito in KZN. I would like to ask, since the brother there said that um, it is illegal to um, bury the fetus, which is under 26 years old, is it illegal because they want to keep it as medical waste in order for them to harvest um, stem cells and all of those um, biological um, thingies, I don't know what they call them, but is it because they want to keep those fetuses for their own research, is that the reason why it is illegal? Because when I look at it, I this thing is immoral. The parents should keep their child and bury it as how they see it. Thank you. Hmm. Rianda, can you please respond? Yes, um, just to answer my brother Incognito's question, um, there's several steps to, to, to this answer. So the first question, if we start off at a, the first um, step to this answer, when we start off at a base level is, because like, we keep using this term pre-vital and viability, um, just to start off at step one, viability is basically another way of saying the fetus's ability to survive um, outside of the womb. And then the second step is um, to answer my brother's question. So the reason they're not saying, so the legislature or rather the statute in question isn't determining um, pre-vital fetuses or the burial of such as being illegal because hospitals, you know, would like to harvest those remains, but rather it's illegal because unfortunately our, the standard of viability um, used in the act is 26 weeks. So they're basically saying that only after 26 weeks would the fetus theoretically be able to survive outside of the womb. However, um, another problem here is, and there is case law to support this. So the Birth and Death Registration Act is restricted by this 26 weeks of gestation. However, there is case law, and although it's a different context because it's criminal law, there's case law where, you know, there's one case that states that viability of 28 weeks of gestation when determining what constitutes the element of a child with regards to that offense. And then there's another case which tackles the killing of an unborn child. And there, viability is stated to be 25 weeks of gestation. So we can really see we have three different figures, but we're bound by one. So there's a lot of confusion because even in South Africa, there's not one standard to determine what is viability. Hmm. Now, there's a case here that could possibly assist us here in South Africa, that Montgomery versus Lanarkshire uh, Health Board. Tell us about this case that uh, happened in the UK that was quite significant. Um, well, in this case, uh, well, <laughs> I don't want to, I wouldn't want to... <laughs> To, to, to go into too much detail, but basically this case was very important because, you know, it helped to establish and it, it helped to modify um, the standard of informed consent in the UK as well as patient autonomy. And if you look carefully and what I, and what, you know, what I hope we can learn going forward with, with you know, the current case of discussion um, is that you know, um, those two terms should be used, you know, together. They both give effect to each other. 
So in this case of Montgomery, um, basically the court stated that, you know, informed consent to medical treatment should be inclusive of any event arising as a consequence of that treatment. And in fact, in addition to Montgomery, there was another case which applied the same principle, which is known as Spencer versus Hillingdon Hospital. And in this case, the court held that the duty to warn patients of potential risks um, should be extended to include the duty to warn a patient of the risk of post-operative complications. So basically, these cases are saying that not only should you inform a, 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 a patient of you know, the possible risks of whichever procedure they choose to go with. But in addition to that, um, they should also be told of any complications that can arise post-treatment. And that is actually how the principle of informed consent was modified. And I, that, that really can, we can actually try and apply that in South Africa at some point in the future, if not now. I think now would be the better time. <laughs> I don't think later Definitely. is. Um, <laughs> and especially when you know the pain of what you go through uh, when you're expecting or you're about to go through any medical procedure. So I think now would be the time. Oyanda, thank you very much for joining us and shedding light on this and also for penciling down this particular article. Thank you so much for having me, Patricia. And I just hope that, you know, this article... Um, touched everyone in a, in a very emotional way. And I'm just grateful that, you know, so many people have come forward and said, you know, how it's really reminded them and fleshed out a very tough time in their lives. But this is the reason why we choose to be lawyers. We choose to help people. And if it can help even just one person, then I'm happy. Excellent. Thank you, Uyanda. Uyanda, can you please give us a website uh, or even uh, social media handles where our A-teamers can contact you if they are facing cases and they need a legal attorney like yourself? Um, okay, well, I'm on LinkedIn, so it's just my name and my surname, Uyanda Mabuya, and my socials, you know, I can be, I can be contacted there as well on the same, with the same details. Um, you know, I don't know if I should also list up my email address, my work address, but go ahead. Oh sure. Um <laughs> so um my email would be uyanda dot mabuya. So for those who weren't informed, the way you spell my surname is M A B O E A at Adam.Africa. And um to anyone who wants to read the article, it's on our firm's website. And if you'd like to contact me, my telephone number is 012-432-6338. Thank you very much, Rianda, for joining us. Thank you for having me, Patricia. Have a lovely night.